I'm good. And please don't think this is your phone. It's not. Um, I'm all good. And uh, we're going to finish this. No matter what we finish this. When people know. I really wish it didn't hurt this bad. It's just not fair. I'm good. I have never before done an extra introduction to a podcast. For this particular episode that you're about to listen to, I have interviewed a beautiful young lady, Ash. Ash was the victim, along with her siblings, of severe childhood abuse and trauma, neglect. She has been through self-harm. She is resilient. She is a profound woman, to say the least. To hear her story and know that she's come out and become the woman that she is today is nothing but a miracle. But the reason I wanted to do an extra introduction to this podcast episode is because even I wasn't quite prepared for the effect that having to speak about these matters would have on her. We have had to break this episode up into two parts as it was becoming quite traumatic for Ash to speak about. At the conclusion of this episode, Ash did have a breakdown, um, but we will endeavour to finish the story at a later date. But please be patient. There are moments where we get a little bit off topic. There are moments that might seem like we are rambling but please know that a lot of the stuff that you see is a trauma response. There are moments where there is laughter at moments that may not seem appropriate for laughter. But again, please know that these are disassociated trauma responses to the things that she endured. I... Again, we'll advise discretion when listening to this episode as it is quite traumatic, but this woman is one that needs to be heard. She is, to say the least, absolutely fucking incredible. Welcome back to the Unbreakable Me podcast where rock bottom has built more heroes than privilege ever could. On today's episode, I am talking to Ash. Ash is a dear friend of mine with quite the story to tell. Now, before we get into this episode, I do want to stress to anyone that is listening that this episode does talk about topics such as severe child abuse and neglect, um, uh, being in the foster care system, and periods of self-harm. Um, so if these are topics that you find triggering, then this may not be the episode for you. But if you are along for the journey, then please hold on tight because as I said at the start, Ash has one incredible story to tell. Hey, Ash, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> You've got your little stress avocado there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Ash is not usually shy. She's just got all shy on me to start the episode. But look, Ash, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to introduce yourself to 
um, the audience. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and, you know, where it all started and, and yeah, start at the beginning of your journey? Okay. Hi, I'm Ash. I'm 32. Um, I am a survivor of child abuse, neglect, and a lot of other really hectic stuff. Um, I was born in 1990 in December. I was born five days after Christmas, which is super convenient. (laughs) Um, And I was born in Adelaide in South Australia. Wonderful. And how many, do you have any brothers or sisters, Ash? Um, Do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, some of your childhood? Okay, so I'm from a family of five. So I have four siblings, including myself. (laughs) So that makes five. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, pretty big family. Um, We were fostered at quite an early age, but not early, early. So not when we were babies, more when we were a little bit older. Yeah. Um, so there, yeah, it's five of us. So I'm the second oldest and then I have an older sister and I have three little brothers. Okay. And can you tell me, Ash, what are some memories that you have on your child of your childhood? Let's start with some of the happy memories that you have with you and your siblings. And if there were any with your mum and dad at the time, before we go into a little bit more of the, the deeper stuff with the audience. Okay. Um, so happy memories I have of being a kid uh, is never being bored. Um, I'm a very energetic person and my siblings are quite similar to me. Yeah. So we're a very entertaining little wild bunch of gremlins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we still are like that even though we're grown now. Um, happy memories. Ugh. What's a funny one? Oh, there was one time when, um, so before we were fostered, obviously, and we were outside and we were playing and my brother got chased by a snake <laughs> and instead of helping, I kind of just laughed at him. <laughs> um, so teaching ourselves how to do things mainly, like I taught myself how to read, um, spent a lot of time trying to sort of help my siblings out as much as possible, just hanging out basically, trying to avoid the fact that life was a bit of a shit show. So You guys had to fend for yourselves from a young age, hey? Yes. Yeah? So from very, very young. So pretty much as soon as I was old enough to understand, I guess, I don't know, being a kid or, you know, what that was kind of like, um, it was pretty much a you're-on-your-own sort of situation. Okay. Um, so that's not your typical childhood, obviously. Most most kids in their early years don't have to all of a sudden become adults and work out how to read themselves and how to look after their siblings. So I want to know if you'd be comfortable, Ash, going into um, like what made your childhood different from others? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> um so basically what my, my childhood different from other people's childhoods is that myself and my siblings were victims of child abuse, um, neglect, malnutrition, got flogged a lot, um, like a lot. <laughs> and it's not funny. I'm not making a lot of the situation. I just laugh in serious situations. Um, it's a bit of a trauma response for you. You know, it? just really. Coping mechanism to get really, Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's just, this is my unhealthy trauma response. <laughs> 
Um, so, yeah, this is how you cope with stuff like this, unfortunately. <laughs> Basically, not not your um, typical, you know, happy family, everything's fine and dandy, rainbows and sunshine sort of upbringing. Um, definitely one of those things where I look back on it now, especially as old as I am, and think, holy fuck, you know, that was pretty massive. Um, so, yeah, we were hurt a lot. Um, and it wasn't just myself, it was my siblings included, and obviously they were a lot younger than I am. Yeah. Um, when, you know, everything sort of became noticeable, I think my earliest memory would probably be maybe like seven, okay. I think. And what is that is memory? Is sort of tell that, you know. Um, so we moved around a hell of a lot, which we'll obviously get into as we go through our topics of today and stuff like that. Um, but basically, I remember there was a phone call that my parents were having with an aunt who I've never met, but apparently she doesn't like me very much, which part of <laughs> is because I'm amazing. Um, you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, her name, her name is Geraldine. And um, yeah, I remember a phone conversation they had at a payphone and um, – I was, like, asked to speak with Geraldine on the phone and obviously no bloody idea who that was. So I was like, yeah, no, well, probably not. And um, copped an earful that day, <laughs> which was great. And, yeah, she um didn't like me from the get-go. So my parents' family, I don't think, were very fond of us children. Yeah. To be honest. Um, our parents weren't really too fond of us either. So, you know, it's that. It's clearly genetic. Um, and yeah, so I've only really had anything to do with like my biological family side of the family very brief. So I know of a grandmother who unfortunately probably by now has passed away because, um, before we were placed into foster care, a call was actually made out to her to see if she could house us. Yeah. And unfortunately due to age, circumstance or whatever the reason was. Um, there was obviously a reason, which is completely understandable. It wasn't so much at the time when everything first happened, obviously. I was like, holy shit, why would you say no? But now as an adult, I definitely get it a lot more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she was unable to house us, which, I mean, at the end of the day, there was five of us, so completely understandable. Um, but, yeah, I don't really have, you know, your typical memories of, like, oh, yeah, we had, like, a PG family and, like, this is my nan and, you know, all that sort of family dynamic that most people have. Okay, so if I take you back for a second, Ash, what are some of the things that you and your siblings experienced? Like what are some of the, when you say that your childhood was different and you guys experienced um, like child abuse and neglect and malnourishment, what does that look like from the, from, from the perspective of you as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old? Uh, so from this perspective of being that young and at the age where I could kind of, you know, you kind of just get that feeling even when you don't really know how to explain it or put it into words as a kid, you know, kids are pretty cluey. Um, and it was almost that thing where we kind of just twigged on like, hold on a second, this is a bit, you know, a bit how you going. And, um, for us, it was just different because, you know, normal families don't move every couple of months, normal families and normal kids, they go to school, they have proper educations. Normal families live in houses with electricity and running water. Um, you know, normal families live in houses where you're meant to be. You don't illegally live there. Um, 
And normal families definitely do not squat at, at truck stops in vans with five children, two adults, and the cat and a dog. <laughs> right. So you guys spent a lot of your childhood not actually in proper accommodation, more so in like abandoned homes that were like not livable yeah. or that were just like in between renters at the time? So basically it was more houses that were in between renters or I'm assuming like our parents had basically found some way to be able to live there but under the radar, um, obviously not being connected to a power grid or needing that um, connection to like landlines and stuff like that. You can pretty much fly under the radar for a very long time, yeah. um, which they got quite good at. And if you move around enough, it takes a very long time for people to twig on. Yeah. So can you tell me, Ash, was it – do you think your mum and dad, like, moved around like that because of, like, was there drug abuse? Was there alcoholism? Were they running from the law? Were they, like – was there a reason why they never just had, like, you know, their standard job and just rented a house? Like, like was it – can you pinpoint or do you know the reason why you guys were moved around from abandoned building to abandoned building? Um, so I can't really pinpoint the exact reason. Um, obviously there is like big chunks of it that we just don't remember. Yeah. Um, which is probably for good reason. Yes. Uh, that's definitely a trauma response. Yeah. <laughs> I had to think of one that did. It's called denial guys. <laughs> um, which is fun. It's okay to be in denial about certain things. Yeah. Um, I think from recollection, I know that at one point in their lives, they did have normal jobs. Yeah. So my biological mother was a nurse at a hospital in Adelaide and my biological wow. father was a wardie at the same hospital um, in Adelaide okay. and that's where everything sort of first started when I was very, very young. Yeah. Um, we always wondered, like, you know, when you get that feeling when you're like, mm, like, are you all right, like, mentally? That was kind of the vibe that if anyone was to see them now, that is the exact vibe you'd get. Like, yeah, they're not all there. And is that in? Was that like drug um, induced, or do you think that was just like a genetic like problem that they had? Like they just had some, like both had mental illnesses, or do you think? I induced? think it was. I think to be honest, it was from a lot of things, um, and it's going to sound really weird because, but I only have this perspective because I'm, I'm literally thirty two year old adult. Only tell it from um, your perspective, Ash. That's all. I, I think it was a number of things really like it sounds so silly but once like we get close to the end of this you're gonna understand why I took what I do um I think it was more kind of a matter of circumstance like I think shit just happened it hit the fan it got too much and maybe something snapped like honestly I don't think we'll ever really know why yeah I don't remember there ever being, like, much alcohol involved on the scene. Like, we never really, you know, saw it. If there was, we didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and as far as I'm aware, um, like, I don't ever think it was drug-induced. I definitely think mental health had a massive part in it. Yeah. Um, you know, they both had very, very strong personalities. There was a lot of emotions, a lot of aggression, a lot of sadness, a lot of, you know, just all the things that are emotional responses, but when not managed properly, come out in a very negative way. Okay. 
All right, so that's interesting because usually when you find that families are in those sorts of circumstances, it's usually because, you know, finances got tricky, you know, due to someone having an addiction or, you know, alcoholism or, you know, like there was a financial crisis or something. So it's really interesting that I think that you guys, like seven of you essentially and a cat and a dog all ended up in this like this situation where you were going from abandoned building to abandoned building for so such a long period in your life and your mom and dad actually at one point had quite good jobs as well so I think that that's a really interesting part of your story now I want to know Ash if you could tell me if you're comfortable talking to the audience about this part of your story when we say that you guys experience the abuse part are you happy to tell us about some of the things that you remember um during your childhood and the things mm-hmm. that you guys were yourself and your siblings were actually subjected to yeah i am um just for viewer discretion it can get a little bit heavy so if it does i apologize in advance. It's okay um Basically, not your run-of-the-mill abuse. Like, where the abuse comes in so many forms, um, especially child abuse. Like, it can be, you know, your normal, typical, or it can be, like, the next step up from that, which, unfortunately, we were the next step up from that. So, you know, flogged to the absolute shit house, and I mean flogged. I don't mean just you gave your kid a whack just because they needed it. Yeah. I mean physically flogged. Um <clears throat> I remember being a kid, getting grabbed by the hair, dragged down the hallway. It happened on many of occasions because I've got a smart mouth <laughs> and did not know when to not say something. Well, I think you were a little bit your um, siblings' protector I remember, too. Yeah, there was a lot of times where I did what I had to, but as a kid going up against two grown-ass adults, that only gets you so far. Um <laughs> And before we were fostered, I was only 13 at the time. And my biological dad is like, he's fucking tall. <laughs> like, he's a big <laughs> he's man. He's a big man. Um, like, that's a, that's a big man. Um, so, you know, still gave it a go anyway because, you know, fuck it, why not? Yeah. Um, but there's only so many times you can get whacked before you don't get back up again, which unfortunately there was circumstances where things were just too severe. Yeah. And, you know, you would need a couple of days to recover or i just, like, walk it off and pretend it didn't hurt because, obviously, there was people younger than me watching all of this go down. Like, there was a whole entire family in a house. So it wasn't exactly hidden. Um, unfortunately, my older sibling was more the golden child in this situation, <laughs> which I hold no resentment to them, and I wish them nothing but happiness in life. But um, there's no hate or anything, but, you know, it raises some questions. Um and, yeah, she was pretty much left alone. Okay. Um, which, I mean, good for her. That's so good. That's so great. And I hope she's doing very well for herself. And um, But me and the boys definitely were not. <laughs> we were definitely not left alone. So one of my younger, sis- uh, one of my younger siblings um, had, when he was little, I'm not so much if he's still getting treatment for it now, he had basically severe ADHD. Yeah. So he was meant to be medicated. Yep. Yeah. And was not. Um, there was also just the genetic factors that we inherited, like the rage, stuff like that, but not to the extent of which our parents took it, obviously, because we're not nuts. Um, <laughs> um, 
I forgot what the question was. <laughs> so what were some of the things <laughs> that you guys were subjected to in your childhood, if you're happy to go into detail? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we went down the flogging road. I remember once, and this is very, very graphic, guys, so okay. just bear with me here. Um, I witnessed my little brother's arm be broken in front of me, just like snapped. And I mean snapped, like <coughs> snapped. Wow. Um, so his whole arm, like here, was hit with a bruise wow. and broken. He didn't receive immediate treatment. He didn't actually receive treatment for nearly six months. Wow. So this happened six months prior to us being placed in the care. Yes. So he did not receive immediate treatment. Uh, basically, we didn't go to the doctors unless we absolutely had to, but we were pretty much under strict instructions. You don't say anything. You don't do anything. If people ask questions, you shut up. Wow. Um, obviously at some points in our childhood, we did end up at doctors. Um, I had to go to the optometrist because obviously I wear glasses. I only got glasses because I was nearly hit by a police car one day trying to cross the road. Wow. Which was interesting. Um, <laughs> cause they're like, oh, where's your parents? I'm like, yeah, kind of don't care, but yeah. And, um, yeah, I got roused on because I couldn't see. And then they realized I actually couldn't see. And then pretty much like it was a very forced conversation of hey um your kid needs glasses and just to stop you there ash there's a reason that you needed glasses. Hey, it was a there was a trauma that occurred wasn't there that led to your needing glasses is yeah. that correct so i was born with an astigmatism in my eye so i have one eye that's like this which is this side and then i have the normal one over here so i have difficulty with my vision but there's a trauma response from that where I have, like, minor nerve damage. So I was whacked in the head with a metal pole. Wow. Um, <laughs> I probably should have triggered warning that one, actually. Sorry, guys. Was that by your um, Yeah, mom? so I was hit in the head with a metal pole. And my... Were your dad? No, that was by my dad. Okay. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What so was... very big man, very big pole. What, what led um, to him doing that? Do you know? Like, was there, like, you know, you were defending a sibling basically. or – Honestly, I probably just said something silly or, like, didn't go along with what they wanted or something or probably defending a sibling. Like, most of the time there was never a reason. It was more just a temper response. Like, he was pissed at the world and we were the ones who took it out on. So um, don't really know the circumstances why. Just know that it happened. And, yeah, so from that I um, I have, like, a nerve thing. So my hands constantly tremor. So I wear a lot of jewellery on my fingers and on my wrists because otherwise my hands will shake all the time. Wow. Um, don't ask me how that makes sense. It just does. It's like a weight. <laughs> if it works, um, <laughs> And, yeah, so it works. Um, so, yeah, I got the glass, glasses for genetic reasons but also because of damage sustained due to child abuse. Wow. Um, yeah. Do you, were you the child out of the family that received most of the abuse, being the one that sort of stood up to your parents the most and almost being like your siblings, like protector in a sense? With, with me and the boys, it was kind of, um, you know, one of those scenarios where we kind of just mutually knew either one of us was going to cop it and it was either like me being the second oldest or 
one of my younger siblings, and at the time they were very, very young, and I just thought, you know what, fuck this. Like, if anyone's going to cop it, may as well be me. Um, so there was times where they were unfortunately beaten, and there's nothing I could do about it. Um, we've been locked in rooms, um, left in there, locked in cupboards, um, lots of different really fucked up shit, wow. um, basically. Um, but yeah, pretty much any chance they had to sort of snap and go absolutely batshit and take it out on a small human, they took that opportunity, regardless of whether something was done to cause it or if it was just they were in a mood that day. It didn't really matter. There was a lot of yelling, a lot of anger, like a lot of really heavy, horrible emotions that um, happened during that time. My siblings and myself saw so much more than any kid should have to, like so much more. And it definitely altered who we are today, but not, in a, not a negative as badly now yeah. as um, in a negative way. Now we can like look at it and understand it that little bit more, but it definitely back then, like it fucked us up. Yeah, definitely. It can't not fuck you up. Like the, to, to see, and we'll go into this no. later, but to see the woman that you have become now, it like, and to know what you went through, most people at some point for su- for usually one of the siblings or, or one of the people, history repeats itself, you know, and for you guys, history yep. didn't repeat, you know, like you guys, like the, the story kind of ended with them in a sense. But before we go into that, yep. I, I want to know, Ash, did anyone ever notice, like an outsider, like did anyone ever notice or try and help you? Was there anyone you know, in passing or if you ever did go to school or the doctor that noticed and went, these kids need help and tried? Or did it just go unnoticed because you weren't really at school and and you stayed away from doctors and things and moved around a lot? Um, So for a long time, and we only found this um, out once we were actually fostered, so, like, we can get into that, but basically you kind of told the bare minimum in these circumstances. They basically tell you what they need to tell you and that's all they're going to tell you. Um, So really, like, we did move around a lot and I'm almost positive. Like, it was a very noticeable thing. Like, if I was to see it now, I'd be like, well, fuck, that ain't right. Um, You know, I'm sure there was people that twigged on. I remember at one point we lived in a house in Toowoomba. Yeah. Um, that obviously not meant to live there, but that's where we were. <laughs> and there was neighbours and the neighbours would like kind of come to the fence and suss us out, but obviously we were too scared to talk to anybody. And then as soon as one of the adults twigged on, back in the house she go. Um, wow. So, yeah, we were never really seen. We were always heard. Okay. So no one really got, um, and you weren't really going to school, hey? I found out. Yeah, sorry, keep going. No, so we kind of, we did go to school on and off. I do remember a few schools kind of in the Ipswich to Woomba area. Um, furthest away was like Brisbane. I don't really remember from South Australia to here. Like I'm not really sure what happened in that time frame with schooling and stuff like that. Uh, I think just at some points they tried to keep it as normal looking as possible so people wouldn't click on. Obviously, we were quite heavily trained that if an adult talks to you, you only say certain things. If police talk to you, you say nothing. Um, At one point, my family was actually interviewed by, I want to say, Tracy Channelor. 
Um, I can't remember what network she is from, but we actually appeared on TV at one point. Wow. As like a, my parents were doing the whole like help us thing. Yeah. So there's actually a news video somewhere out there in the universe wow. of my family where I probably look absolutely thorough. So if you can find that, go for gold. So did they um, go in there saying like we need help, yeah. can't find accommodation and stuff? Were they kind of like appealing to people to help them? Yes, essentially wow. yes, but under the facade of that where we that we were this normal functioning family that you know all the violence, all the abuse, and all the stuff that was happening in the background, that was not something that they were like. They you could see them in the shops and they would mask as a perfectly normal oh this is just two adults and they're five bloody children wow like unless you knew or were smart enough to be on or physically saw evidence of the abuse you wouldn't know wow okay so it did go unnoticed for a long time like people weren't yep. it wasn't like people were making reports to child protective services or teachers or whatever or doctors saying these kids need help it was no. it was very well they hid it quite well so it was very well hidden for a very long time. So we weren't placed into foster care until I was 13 years old. Yeah. Um, which is huge. Yeah. Like that's it's very huge. And I think my oldest sibling was 14 turning 15 or something like that. Yeah. There's about a two-year age gap between all of us. Um, and, yeah, so we found out when we were actually placed into foster care that there was report multiple reports made, but the ones that stuck out the most significant – were from a doctor's office. I'm not really sure where. Um, I never found that out. And from a principal and guidance counsellors and stuff at one of the schools. I guess they had picked up on behaviours typical of children that were being abused and made some calls and got it looked into. It took years for them to track us down. Yeah, is that because you guys moved around so much and they were, like, trying to find you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so basically reports were made of, you know, people saying, hold on a sec, like, this isn't right, something's wrong here. Um, You know, I don't really know how many were made. I'm not really sure, to be quite honest. But, yeah, there was reports made and basically it was just turned into a situation of trying to catch us before we moved again or trying to get them at the right time. However they did it, they just needed to find a way to do it and have enough to make it stick. Yeah. Because you can't just sweep in and take someone's kids no, like course. without a reason. There has to be a reason. So with your with just going winding back just for a second before I go into before we go into the day that you guys were taken away uh, from this situation, just so yeah. people can get a little bit of a better understanding of this situation. When we say moving around from abandoned house to abandoned house, I don't think that people kind of may not fully grasp what that looks like. Like we're talking no running water, no electricity, no fridge, no air con, uh, which means bathing's yep. quite so, difficult, food's hard to come by. Like what does what does it look like to live in an environment with a dog, a cat, seven individuals, no running water? What is what is that environment like so people can understand better just even that part of your story? So basically that environment looks like a hell, but at the time as being a child, you don't realise that's not normal. Like I had no idea until I was fostered that, you know, like people have lights on in their house. People have water that comes out of the tap. Like you don't have to drive 300 freaking kilometres to go fill up a tank of water with your little hillbilly family. Um, You know, people can turn lights on whatever they want. They can have an aircon. 
you know, like I know there was things in the houses and stuff, like there was TV, shit like that. Um, my parents were really shocking for porning things. So basically they would get something, porn it, um, and that went on for ages. Like Christmas was never really a thing. Um, anything that was bought was pawned. That's something we definitely remember. Yeah. Um, and basically it was just, you know, sleeping conditions were wherever you could find a safe spot to sleep. So I used to sleep on, and this is going to be really sad, so I'm not trying to like hurt anyone's feelings. No. Um, we used to sleep on a pile of clothes under a shelf. Wow. Yeah. So no, I told like, you, no mattresses. So like in the bottom like of a cupboard. Um, so it was like mattresses and stuff, but you know, very soiled like mattresses. Like these weren't very um what's the word? Like basically living in squalor, which is like it's very neglectful, very dirty, almost a hoarder house, except with a few extra steps. Yeah, okay. Um, so the living conditions were very poor. Um uh, we spent ninety percent of our time outside, one to avoid being absolutely flogged, and two just because there's fresh air outside. Yeah, okay. Pretty well. Like when we were allowed outside or, you know, depending on what location we were at, the house where we spent the most time outside was um, the Milmarin house because that was more secluded. So that was kind of in an area where you had a neighbour, but that neighbour was kind of too far away. Okay, so they didn't notice that there was kids there and that maybe something was going on. Yeah, so basically the most secluded location you could think of, and that's where we were at. Um, what about, like, toileting arrangements and stuff? Like, you know, you guys are sleeping on piles of clothes. There's no running water, which means, like, how 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 are we showering? How, how are we dealing with hygiene issues? How are we, you know... Um, you know, it, like toileting, like even that, that, that simple, we don't even think about that. Like, yeah, no air con, yeah, no, to- like no lights, no this, no, no that, but you've got to be able to flush a toilet. Like how did you, how do you even get around that one? Like, this is an outside situation. Right. Like this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a very TMI situation, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. Fuck it. We're going to ball to the ball today. Okay. So we had what is called a redneck bucket system, which is basically okay. you have a bucket system and that is where you go to the toilet. So that was the situation for when we were living in the van. Um, if we were in the van and we were at truck stops, obviously we could use their toilet yeah. and bathroom. But basically if you were in the van or in somewhere that didn't have like say a house that had been sitting for like years, obviously your plumbing's not hooked up, nothing's going to work. Yeah. So it was either a bucket situation or it was either you go somewhere, find water, bring the water back, fill the toilet to flush it. Yeah, okay. Like that sort of, you know, very unhygienic, very gross situation. But this is the picture that I want people to understand, Ash, is bit that, that like, because I don't think that's why I want people to fully understand what you guys are living in. Like seven human beings, a dog and a cat, when you just think, oh, living in an abandoned home, like people don't think about, yeah, no running water, yep. but then – Toileting's issue, bathing's an issue. You know, you've got no fridge. Like, yeah, yeah, you're living in discomfort because there's no yep. aircon, but they're not the they're not the basic necessities that we're missing out on. Like, there's some serious hygiene issues that come into play. Now, what I'd like to move into next, Ash, is Milmerin. Like, what happened in Milmerin? Like, Milmerin was the place I know that you um, that you guys were eventually taken by CPS. Do you want to go into what happened yeah. there and, and how life started to change from that point forward? 
Yeah. So basically, we lived in Mumaran. I'm not really sure of what year it was. Um, we were definitely it was definitely the scene, uh, heard not seen situation all over again. Um, I can't even remember where we went there from, to be quite honest. I just remember we were at a truck stop, which is in Southbrook, uh, near Toowoomba. And we lived in the van there for, I guess, until we got told to move on. And then I'm not sure what the agreement was with the house, but basically to us, it, we were just there. Like, yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I honestly could not tell you because I've, I've got no idea. Um, and, yeah, so we were there for, I want to say three years, but I honestly could be wrong. Um, but we were there for quite a while. So we would go into, like, because it was on the outskirts of Wilmerin, so we would actually go in the van into Wilmerin, or nine times out of ten we were left at home. So they would go into town on their own and we would be left at the property where the house was. Yeah. Um, so a lot of fending for yourself, like a lot yeah. of fending for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was moments where you know things weren't always hectic or was, there was moments where our father would you know sort of have that little snappy moment of niceness and you'd be like oh okay like this isn't so bad and then yep she's over that's it crack again. <laughs> um yeah so it was just a matter of what it took that day for him to stop or you know our biological mother didn't really offer any comfort in that respect like I genuinely don't know what happened to her or if it was just that's just how she was, but a lot of it she would just sit and watch. Like, and you could hear it. We're children. Like, you know when a kid's getting hurt. You know when you see a child getting beaten. Everyone's natural response, including mine. I'm a parent myself and have been through what I've been through. Like, that's what hurts the most is that as a parent, you have a duty to care to your children. And if you hear a child screaming, the first initial instinct should be to run. Yeah. And that just wasn't a thing that happened, especially living in that house because I was that little bit older. I was that little bit more aware of it. And because we saw and went through so much, that was the main thing I remember is just that maternal instinct and that love. It just wasn't there. It just, it just so you wasn't just there. Watched. Do you think that she had like like she was afraid of your dad as well and that's why she didn't step in? Or do you think she I was think just to as... some respect? I think it was more like kind of a Stockholm syndrome situation where be- they had been together for a very long time, so I should probably clarify that as well. Um so as far as I know, they'd been together since they were about four. I wanna say like twenty one. Yeah. I think, um, not really sure. I don't have very much background information on my family, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, only be my siblings, like moving forward and foster care stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think they'd been together for a very, very, very long time, and I think it was more of a Stockholm situation because she just idolised the ground he walked on. Um, wow. My older sister was treated the same. Like they were just everything, and we were just things that were in the way. We were just something that were hit or hurt or they don't glare at from the other side of the room for no reason. So your eldest you know, sister, and I she was never a victim yep. of any of this abuse ever? There was, like, there was definitely a, like, mental abuse side of it for her. Like, she would have seen a lot, and I do 
at the time I didn't like I was like nope I like just hate you like I did I hated her for a very 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 long time we still don't have a relationship now but that is just because choices were made and those choices are okay um but basically long story short it was really easy non-complicated way of explaining it um so basically I was pregnant with my oldest and she was still in contact with our biological parents and I basically sent her a text saying hey I'm pregnant um I know you're with them and I'm not going to go and talk with you because quite frankly it's none of my business and I don't care what they're doing like I I hope they rot I don't care um Mm -hmm. you know but I need you to make a choice you either have something to do with them or you have something to do with me and your decision is yours and I will respect that but you have to respect my right not to want anything to do with them and um yeah we have not had a relationship for a very long time a very very long time so yeah she she was definitely yeah she chose it which at the time I was I was pissed I was obviously very angry because I you know I saw myself as the person that would do anything for my little brothers like I genuinely would have done anything no matter what it took like to stop them from getting hurt I pretty much tried to do it yeah so it's um, almost like she's got these she's got memories of your childhood obviously where she remembers maybe like the good stuff because she wasn't as yes. subjected to the bad stuff so in her memories and her trauma response the things that she's blocked out it sounds like she's blocked out a lot yep. of this abuse and stuff and she's like oh it wasn't that yep. bad we didn't have the best yep. childhood but it was they did the best yep. they can and blah blah whereas yep. you're That's because you guys were subject to it so it's almost like she's she's had a lot of psychological trauma that has that has yep. pushed her almost back to them which is again really sad that that they have that hold over yep. her but on a different level yeah so, yeah. Ash, tell me, the day that you were taken away, what happened? The, the day it all changed, <laughs> really. Anyway, this, I- this, it was almost like the fork in the road, you know, like either life was going to keep going this way or someone finally stepped in. And for you guys, as though, as much as I know this next part of your journey was was also difficult, as it would be, um, yeah. it, was almost, it was for you guys the best thing that happened. And tell, tell me about that day, that yeah. day that you finally got whisked away. Literally whisked. Literally. <laughs> um, just one second. I just have to look at this because I have, I have notes. <laughs> have notes, Vanessa. She's she's I, all nervous. I have notes. Um. So when was it? I can't really pinpoint the year because yeah, I okay. have a very selective memory. Um. But we were in Melbourne. It was near yeah. Christmas. Yep. And we were doing the usual. It was just your typical day, um, which is really typical in normal people's childhood. So, you know, find out if you've got your story, you're going to get that. (laughs) Let's say for us, it was, you know, just your normal scene of the day. Um, We were doing, me and the boys were doing what we were doing. We were actually trying to find something to eat. Um, And I don't know why this is the only thing I remember. But we food was incredibly scarce, um, so we found carrots and tomato sauce. Nice, as very strange as that. Breakfast of champions. Um, so yeah, we were 
Literally, it keeps you going, helps you see, apparently, which is a lie because I lived on Karis as a child. <laughs> Still can't um, see. <laughs> Still can't see. <laughs> um, you know, so that's a lie. Um, and, yeah, so we were doing that and I remember that Ron uh, – well, I remember that – well, yeah, his name is Ron, so it doesn't really matter. Um, Ron was just, I don't know, like not as – hectic that day like it was kind of just a very like sort of almost scarily normal day and I was like yeah all right boys like this is gonna go one or two ways and I guarantee it ain't good <laughs> like, I would almost place money on the fact that it would not be good um so yeah we were standing there I was making me and the boys something to eat and I remember Michelle doing whatever the hell she was doing and my sister doing what she did best, which was just anything that didn't involve, you know, us kind of. Um, and I remember our mother walking, like, near us. Sorry, I just got to clean my nose, guys. Uh, yeah, walking near us and basically yelling and telling us that there's people at the front and we needed to be quiet. And I was like, okay, like, we're in the middle of, literally bumfuck nowhere so <laughs> no one knows where we are we don't have friends like our parents weren't the ones that had people over for coffee and a biscuit yeah like that that was not a thing so I was like yeah all right this is not good um at all and <laughs> at 13 years old that was very fucking scary like it was really scary because I was like okay this this is very bad like something is gonna happen it was just I wasn't really aware because obviously I wasn't aware that our life wasn't normal. Um, yeah. That was our normal. So to me, I was just like, oh, well, you know, this happens to everyone. Uh, when in truth, it, it quite clearly does not happen to everyone, um, which is great. That's a really, really good thing. And, yeah, I remember her singing out. Basically, we had to be quiet, and she mentioned that there was police. And growing up, you know, we were told what to say, when to say it. It was very play-by-play to obviously yeah. avoid getting in trouble. Um, by the law or by, you know, dogs, whoever came along and it was basically just a front to sort of hide the fact that they were giant pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> okay, so getting off track, you guys. Um, so, yeah, they sung out to us and there was three police vehicles and a dock's vehicle, but at the time I only knew what a cop car looked like. I didn't know what a dock's car looked like. Um, so basically it's a fancy car with a government sticker slapped on the side of it. Yep. Pretty much. That's a dog's car, guys. Now you know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they had pulled up out the front. Like, so there was this long driveway you had to go down to. So this is like, literally when I say the middle of nowhere, it is quite literally the middle of nowhere. So there's this big ass driveway you had to come all the way down and then it led to like the front of the house. So these people had to come all the way down that driveway. And looking out the window, the shock on her, to, holy shit, why is there three police cars? Because usually, you know, there's like one or no police cars. So that was pretty mm -hmm. scary. And, you know, obviously we were quite confused. My siblings were a lot younger than me. My youngest brother was six at the time and I was 13. Um, so that was very scary. So we sort of just kicked back inside Waited to see what would happen. My 
mother and father had gone outside. Um, we could hear conversations going on out there, a bit of yelling, a bit of backwards and forwards, because our father was absolute schizo. Um, so you could hear him from a mile away, like me, but I'm that way in a good way, not a bad way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like his was a bad way, mine's a good way. I'm just loud because I just like to be loud. Um, but yeah, you could definitely hear him out the front, and the conversation, like you could kind of hear bits and pieces, but enough to sort of be like, uh, okay, like this, this is not good. This is not ideal. So they come back inside the house with a police officer and a representative from Docs. Yeah. Uh, so obviously that was where those little mentions of people noticing things that they noticed and stuff like that, that was where that came into play uh, because without those, that day never would have happened. It just would not have happened. And I have no doubt in my mind we probably wouldn't be alive anymore, like yeah. 100%. I, I highly doubt it. I really, really do. Um, and, yeah, so basically they'd got enough to come to the property where we were. They got a location. They tracked our movements. They'd gathered enough information to have an immediate protection order put in place. Yeah. Uh, which means basically that day until a court decides otherwise, you are now legally a ward of the state. So it was me and my siblings that were now legally a ward of the state. And at the time, we had no idea what that meant because we didn't have much to do with the outside world, mm-hmm. like, or with, you know, people of that nature, other than schools and stuff. But, you know, you said what you said and you said what you were told to say. Yeah. Um, there wasn't much more than that. So... Yeah, they've come in, and obviously we live in very derelict conditions. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier. So that's a word <laughs> to explain what it's like to live in an environment of squalor, which is squatting and haunted houses kind of together. Um, so, yeah, obviously the living conditions were very derelict. We had had animals at points in time, and, you know, this is going to be very, very graphic and about animals, so I apologise for that in advance. But there was actually deceased like small cats in our house that we were in at this time. So think of like the worst possible thing to walk into and that's what these workers and these police officials had walked into. Wow. So you know, there would be like a smell and everything of like decaying. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So shit everywhere, clothes everywhere, like literally squalor, like no word, like it's, yeah, it's not a smell that you can forget. It's not Definitely not a sight that you can forget. Um, and, yeah, so they've walked into that and immediately, well, it's just confirmed what they already knew, that yeah. things weren't right. Our parents were, you know, who people had said they were, and we were unfortunately victims of child abuse, neglect, you name it. It was just a thing now. Um, so, yeah, they've come in. They said to us basically a little brief rundown. They don't tell you very much unless they have to actually tell you, uh, which I, at the time, absolutely pissed me off because my only concern was being separated from my siblings and uh, yeah I just remember it being this really confusing horrible day and my only concern was being separated from my siblings because obviously like we had no idea what was going on so that was very scary because I was like nah you can't split us up like I remember making that very clear um, that I would not go anywhere if we were separated like no matter what it took I was going to fight it um, which 
I'm not sure what I was going to do at 13, to be quite honest. <laughs> I was like this big. But, you know, the thought was there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they basically come in, gave us a little bit of a brief rundown, and they said that we would be going with them immediately. Um, so we had about 20 minutes yeah. to gather anything that we wanted that could fit in a bag. Yeah. Um, so there was one bag. One bag, five kids. Wow. So that doesn't work very well. Um, we grabbed the personal items that we wanted. I grabbed a big white teddy bear, which unfortunately later in my foster years got destroyed. And it probably smelled really bad, to be honest, too. So pretty <laughs> sure a foster care at some point in time may have may have yeeted it, which is fine. I fully understand. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we grabbed the bare minimum and – the time frame for that to happen was very, very short. Obviously, this is one of those scenarios where you swoop in, you do what you have to do, you get the people you need out, and you leave. Yeah. So no details are provided of the location where you are going. They only tell them what they legally are required to tell them, which is yeah. your children are now ward of the state. You are under investigation for this, 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 and this. Yeah. And they're coming with us. There is nothing well, – there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you can't go up against the police and child services. It's just not going to – you know, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, so they don't tell you where you're going. We didn't know where we were going at all. So we piled into the cars and – Do you remember we... feeling relief that you're finally <laughs> leaving this situation? Or do you – or do you – were you – like, was there any moment of, like – I know you were confused and probably overwhelmed, but was there any, like, level of – Yeah sympathy for your mum and dad in that moment or sadness or anything or was it just sheer like thank fuck someone's come to save us I remember not not so much feeling sorry for them because I was so used to them flipping their shit or like hurting one of us or yelling like I was so used to that violence and being surrounded by that 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 side of the sympathy of me just wasn't there Yet it wasn't until like a little bit later that when my brain finally twigged and I was like, oh shit, like that's actually kind of fucking sad. Um, and I remember as we were walking out um, with our belongings, it actually caused our father to flip his fucking lid. Like, I mean, that man went batshit. Um, he threatened police with a shovel, like swore black and blue, no one's going to take my kids. I remember our mother like sobbing, being like, we didn't do anything and like the we love you and like we never hurt you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, cool story. That's fucking excellent. Um, <laughs> you know, and I just remember not guys... really saying very much. Yeah. Like I didn't say anything. Like I think me and my siblings were just kind of, in shock, really. It was a lot of information to process in a very, very minute amount of time. Like, you're not yeah. given much time, um, which I completely understand. Like, there is a process to it, but I fully understand that, and I appreciate that they acted as swiftly as they did and got us out of there as fast as they did because I'm sure the outcome would have been way different um, if anything had taken any longer. So, you know, I'm very and always will be appreciative of that. But I remember not feeling sorry for them. I remember watching them cry and feeling nothing, like not a thing. And at 13, (laughs) you should not feel that way. Well, that's right. And that's that's the picture that I want people to understand is because I think that you see like, 
you know, like in the movies and stuff when these things happen, you're like everyone's screaming, like I want to be with my, like, you know, don't take me away and stuff. The, the, the physical yeah. abuse for you guys was so bad that that when you guys were finally taken away, it was like, thank God these people are here. Like, like we don't, we need yeah. someone to save us. There was no, like the so physical the only- was much worse for, than the psychological almost for you guys yeah. in the sense that there was no, yeah, you weren't, um, we were there was no sympathy in that moment. The easy way to explain it, and I've used this a couple of times before, I don't know if I've ever explained it to you this way, probably not. Um, but the easiest way to explain it is you get a horse, the horse is batshit, it's wild, you try and break it. Eventually, you flog the fuck out of the horse, well, some people do, which is very wrong, by the way. Don't do that to animals. <laughs> don't be that person. Um, and, you know, you flog the crap out of the horse, it does what you tell it to do. That was done to humans. That was done to children. Like, yeah. there's only so many times you can be hit before it doesn't hurt anymore. There's only so many times you can be screamed at before it doesn't have an effect anymore. Like, in in the end, I wasn't even scared of it anymore. Like, I was like, fuck it. Like, you're going to do it anyway, and nothing we do is going to stop this. Nothing we do is going to be good enough. And, you know, either you're going to fucking kill one of us or something's going to happen, and it did. Um, Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, finally (laughs) someone... Finally, um, someone took notice. Well, enough people took notice that it like, got yeah. like an army of people to come and save you. Basically, yeah, like a very small army, which I'm very thankful of still. And I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever. I don't think I'll ever not be thankful for it, to be honest. Yeah, like ever. Um, but yeah, I remember us not having that empathetic, like, oh my god, our parents. Like, you know, that typical, no, don't leave me. Like, we didn't really yeah. have that. My um, my little siblings a little bit just because of their ages yeah. and because they were still in the years where, like, they're kids. There was a lot going on and they were, like, little, little kids. Like, these weren't grown-ups. These were small children. Little humans, yeah. <laughs> like, very little, little people. And we were very little people ourselves, even just with how we looked. Like, there wasn't much yeah. to us. We were, we were very... No. Very, very starving little poor conditioned gremlins. Um, <laughs> so I can't tell- but like laugh at it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward a little bit to your first foster mum. Yeah. This is the first foster mum that when you were finally taken away from this situation, this is this is the place you were taken. Tell me what it was like to pull up at that house. What was she like? Who was she? Like, what did you guys experience for the first time when you finally? Because your experience in foster care is not everyone's experience. Just so I can I say this, not everyone's experience in foster care is positive. But for you guys, for the most part, from from what we've discussed, yours was yeah quite a quite a positive experience. Um, I'm sure you had yeah. your ups and downs, like any teenager does throughout their years and rebellion, all the things. But your actual experience with your foster carers and the people that took you in was quite positive. So, um, explain to me what it was like pulling up at, at her house. What was she like, and and you know, how did that next part of your journey look? Yeah. Okay. So we left the house in Melbourne. Um, we drove. We didn't really know where we were going. I didn't know what the hell Gundawindi was. Like I genuinely had no idea. Um, <laughs> like I genuinely was like, oh, cool. Like that's a, that's a really big word. Um, and I remember we were in the dock's car and my siblings were 
Like, I was with the boys, and my oldest sibling was pretty sure, as far as I can recall, we were all in the same car. Um, and, yeah, so that was, like, in the front, and she was doing what she usually does. And, yeah, we kind of just kicked back in the back of the car. I did not turn around once, and I will never, ever, ever regret that decision. I never looked back, not even once, which most people probably would have, but... I don't know, I just didn't, I was just like, yeah, no, like, I don't think I knew fully that we were done, but I think a part of me was just like, no matter what, don't look back, like, yeah, ever. Um, so I didn't, and, um, yeah, they were like, oh, cool, like, you know, basically explain the situation um, in, like, their own words and their own terms that they use, because obviously there is ways that they explain this. They don't just go to you, oh, hey, um, mummy and daddy are pieces of shit, so I'm going to take you now. Um, there's proper... You know, ways do of it doing a lot. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah politically really ways. Politically correct ways to tell people that your parents are shit. Exactly. Humans. Yeah, and they're, they're not, not supposed to Yeah. It's not supposed to look like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nice ways to tell people, hey, by the way, your life's a fucking shit show and we're taking you away. <laughs> um, <laughs> um so yeah, we were just chilling, like having those conversations and yeah, they're like, you're going to gun the windy and I was like, Oh, all right. You know, cause we knew we were in Milmarin, but I think like we'd moved around that much half the time. We genuinely, you know, didn't know where we were. We were kind of just like, cool. Like this is where we are now. At least we're together. Right. Oh, like on to the next fucking shit show. And yeah, we got, oh, where did we go? We got to the town park in the main street of Gunnawindy, so the big-ass park, and we pulled up there, got out of the car, stretched our legs and stuff, and that's when they more explained the fact that we were now foster kids, um, so which is the technical words like ward of the states because, um, you know, that's how it works. Um, and basically we would be in foster care for the time being. We were on a temporary order until uh, courts decided otherwise. Yep. Um, and yeah, we would be going to live with this lady, Christine O'Toole, and she was a foster carer. She was a kind of older woman. Um, yep. she's still alive, by the way. Hi, Christine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's probably going to watch this. Um, so yeah, she was an older woman and she had been a foster carer for a lot of years. She's actually very well known in the Gundawindi area. A yes. lot of people know her and, um, she is genuinely a beautiful human being. Um, and, yeah, I remember them telling us about her and saying that's where we would be. And then I remember questioning whether or not me and my siblings would be staying together. Yeah. Like, basically, once I twigged onto shit, that means we're not going back. Like, what is the next step from that? Like, do we get to stay together? And, obviously, there was that fear because I was like, no, nah, it's been us against the world our whole lives. Like, hell or high water, we ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. But then it's finding uh, a place so yeah, that we, you can put five kids. That that's the that's the issue. Literally, which is no easy feat, and especially with the foster system, there is so many complications. But one of the biggest complications that was back then, and is still even now, in regards to foster homes and placements of children, is the fact that there is not a big of number of foster carers with houses that are big enough. Where unfortunately, when kids are placed in the care, especially. Like back then, things obviously with foster care now have changed, but back then it was it was rare. Like it was very rare for someone to say, yep, fuck it, I'll have five kids. 
I'll take five. Like, <laughs> it didn't really. But she did that. Christine did that. Like hey. literally, I was like, she literally did. She literally did. So um, I remember we pulled up at her house, and it was in Gunton Drive, which is in Gunton and. Yep. We pulled up at her house and she had the greenest grass I've ever seen in my life. And, like, the house was kind of on, like, a sloped driveway. So there was two driveways. And it was just this really pretty, like, had a garden, like, almost didn't look real house. Like, probably the most normal house I've ever seen in my life, to be quite honest. Yeah. At that point. Um, <laughs> obviously, now it's a bit different. But, yeah, and I remember them saying, radio, we're here. Like, you know, we all piled out of the car, toddled on up the little driveway, and obviously we were absolutely shitting ourselves because adults to us were scary. They were yeah. they were scary. Um, you know, and getting – like, this all happened in less than a 24-hour period. Like, this was done within hours. This wasn't days. This was hours. It's like pick um, you up, take you out of this shit show, move your people. boom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot it's of like change really, really fast. Yeah. In a very, very short amount of time. So, obviously, we were very on edge. We were very apprehensive. I remember holding my brother's hands as much as I could, kind of like trying to reassure him as best as I could that, you know, as far as I knew or as far as we'd been told, we should be okay now. Um, yeah. And that we should be safe now, even though I didn't, I didn't know if that was going to be the case at all. Like, we knew nothing. Um, other than who this woman was and that she'd agreed to take us all on. So, yeah, we rocked up there, totted up the driveway, and I remember her opening the door, and I don't think I'll ever forget it because she had, like, just the grooviest hair. Like, she just had the coolest hair. And I'm one of those people where, like, I look at someone and I can just, you know, their energy and stuff. Like, you might not be able to see it, but I can feel it. And I just remember really being, like, super uncertain of what was going to happen but just – feeling that tiny bit safe and like that we yep. could trust her, um, which was not easy. It, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, I felt that like we weren't in any immediate danger. Like for five seconds I was like, holy shit, you know, we might actually <laughs> we might actually make it. Um, yeah. You know, and the, the first day there, so we rock up at night time. Um, it was night time when we got there. So uh, Christine and – the doctor representatives, obviously, because she's a foster carer, there they have to have conversations and blah 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 blah. So basically, when a child is placed in a foster care, the foster parent is given like a rundown and a case file. Mm-hmm. So there's information and stuff that they're given, and then they can go, "Yep, okay, we agree. We'll house these children for you know the foreseeable future or however long it takes." Um, it's sort of done by a case-by-case basis, depending on the severity, court orders. There's a lot that goes into it. Like, it's, it's humongous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so herself and the people, the adults, they were at the front. They sat out there having the chats they needed to have. And Christine had two teenage daughters at the time living in her house. She had older children as well, but they were living in their own houses. Like, these were mature children that lived outside yeah. of the house. So she had two kids at her house that were teenagers and they were Kirsty and Tamara, which I yeah. still talk to Kirsty and I talk to Tamara occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsty's definitely my face. Sorry, Tamara. Yeah. Um <laughs> and yeah, so they kind of showed us around and I remember we looked around and it was it was a spin out. Like, what do you mean there's no like disgusting mess on your floor and like water comes <laughs> out of your tap and you have a fridge? 
and like what like literally one of those moments where you're like what the fuck like like what's that what do what do we do with that yeah um and yeah basically we walked around the house checked it all out it was, it was surreal like it was honestly just like holy fuck like we're actually gonna be okay like we were safe we had somewhere to be safe one second yeah finally um, so yeah we finally you, had something and once you were at christine's place what then took place with your mum and dad like did they end up being charged did they end up incarcerated? Did it get swept under the rug? What did like what happened to them? Like once you guys were safe and in Christine's care, what happened to them? Yeah. So it was quite a lengthy process once the um order was established. So at the start we were on a temporary order, so it's basically like an, an immediate get these kids, get them out sort of order. Um so that only goes for a certain amount of time. And then they have to basically prove a level of abuse or prove a level of neglect that these parents have done to their children. So that can take a little bit. It is quite a little bit of a process. But in order to get that information and get that proof you need, you need to have one physical proof, which obviously was our living conditions and the states like of it, of us as human beings. Um, you know, we were very, 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 very sick. Um, we some of us had bruising not all of us had bruising but some of us did have bruising uh we were very dirty we didn't actually know how to bath properly or have a shower (laughs) um and yeah you know we weren't in the best state so that was one way they managed to get the physical side of it obviously our living conditions were not satisfactory of people that should have children um so that was another way um, they also managed to get proof by getting statements off us. And in order to do that, <laughs> that involves a lot of therapy and yeah. just, yeah, a lot of therapy, a lot of doctor's appointments, a lot of meetings with certain channels and certain different people like docs workers, guidance counsellors, you know, like everyone was involved on this. Like this became like a very big project of we need to prove what's happened we need to be able to charge these people and hold them accountable for what they have done um like one of the officers i didn't find this out until i was oh i don't know i think it was like 14 15 at the time um i was friends with someone in gunnawinny who uh one of my best friends who actually her family knew an officer who was on my case i've never met this officer in my life um would love to maybe one day hopefully uh, but he was on the scene that day he was a seasoned police officer and it was the worst case he had seen in his entire career um, to yeah. the point where he had questioned, obviously, as I'd grown and become a TJ, he had questioned my friend's family and said, oh, my God, like, I didn't even know they were still alive. Like, how are they still alive? Um, wow. You know, which was, at a, as a teenager, <laughs> was fucked to hear because I was like, Wait, like well, is it, that bad? That was like your was, normal, you know? Like you thought that was normal to a degree. And then to yeah. hear then years later that like that was the worst really. case of child abuse I've seen and squalor and neglect and malnourishment yeah. that I've seen ever, that would have been like, I knew it was yeah. bad, but I didn't realise it was that bad. So it did was, they end up going to jail, was, your mum and dad? 
Um, so <laughs> this is where it gets a little bit annoying. So, um, but it's okay because karma comes around eventually for everybody. Um, so my biological father, he obviously had to go to court. I'm not really sure what the proceedings were. I know we did a lot of interviews, therapy appointments. We went to Toowoomba a lot with our foster parents, like to try and get this stuff happening. Um, he got a year. He was sentenced to a year uh, behind bars. Wow. He was charged with year child abuse neglect. There's a bunch of other different smart words they used to <laughs> describe it. Um, there was an article in a newspaper, which I used to have a copy of, but I don't anymore, which explained it a little bit better um, and exactly what the judge had said to him that day, which was very, very like, you fucked up, son. Like, yeah. <laughs> you are disgusting. Basically, in smart judge words, um, which I'm not a judge. And, um, yeah, basically, all around the board, the verdict was that, yeah, they were giant pieces of shit. Um, so my biological mother actually pleaded insanity. And I guess just by the basis of that, our father was the one more to inflict the abuse than she was. Um, like, she yeah. may have had a big part in it because she allowed it to happen. But the physical side of it, you know, they couldn't prove it. Um, like so a, basically a log story. An accomplice almost. Yeah. Yeah, like a watcher. So there's a, there is a word for it, especially in uh, child abuse cases. I just don't remember what the word is. But basically an accomplice, like you're an accomplice to the abuse because you allowed it to happen at no, at no point and in any time. Did you try and prevent it? Did you stop it? Like you, you did nothing. Um, you know, basically they were pretty much called failures of parents. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he served a year and then he got out. So he got one year for abusing and neglecting five children for multiple years. That is like, that is almost the system, the system that stepped in and saved you almost failed you in that sense as well. You know, like that regard. It failed to, it, it was able to protect you but failed you in the sense that he should have got longer. She should have been held more accountable to her actions as well. Now, Ash, we have been talking now today for an hour and 15 minutes, so I'm going to actually break your story up into two parts, okay? I want to actually leave your story there and let the severity of this part of your story seep in for the audience and then pick up next week and tell part two because this isn't where your story ends. There is more foster care. There is the effects of the trauma layer in your life. And then there is Ash, your partner Ash, and then there is your two beautiful sons and how you are doing today and how you go from that severe situation and and that, that, that place of such trauma to become the woman you are today. And I want to, I don't want to rush through that. I want to be able to tell that with its full force. So I'm going to pull this up here today and I'm going to make the audience wait to hear that second part (laughs) of your story. So thank you. If you've gotten this far, we thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we will pick up again in a week's time to tell the rest of your story.